0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks.
3: This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, November 9th, 2021.
2: Later in the program, WFHB News Assistant Director Noel Herhusky-Schneider speaks with Stephen Stewart about his concerns for logging in the Hoosier National Forest. More coming up in today's feature report.
3: Also coming up in the next half hour, the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana filed a federal lawsuit against a school corporation in Terre Haute after employees refused to allow transgender students to use their preferred restrooms. More in today's headlines. But first, your local news brief.
1: From Firehouse Studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is the WFHB Local News Brief for Tuesday, November the 9th. 2021. I'm Abe Shapiro. In COVID news, the Monroe County mask mandate is slated to remain in effect for, quote, probably several weeks, end quote, as reported by Penny Caudill, administrator of the Monroe County Health Department. At the moment, Monroe County remains in the yellow rank of advisory, meaning that cases continue to rise above the 50 cases per every 100,000 persons threshold that must be. Met for a county to be classified as blue, the rank provided to counties no longer requiring a mask mandate. According to statistics from the Indiana State Department of Health website, which is updated every Wednesday, the week of November 1st saw cases in Monroe County increase to 121 cases per 100,000 persons. These statistics therefore exceed the required 50 cases per every 100,000 persons threshold. Needed for the mandate to be lifted. According to the Herald Times, although over 57% of people in Monroe County are fully vaccinated and first dose vaccinations have trickled to less than 300 per week, since vaccines are now available to 5 to 11 year old children, vaccinations are likely to climb in the next few weeks. At Friday's weekly news conference for updates on pandemic response, Caudill sought to bolster public morale and encourage hope as the holiday season approaches, saying, quote, As we come to a time of giving, I would request that we not give each other infections, be they the flu, COVID, or any other respiratory infection. Instead, let's give all of our efforts to giving grace and being kind, get vaccinated and follow regulations and recommendations to reduce transmissions. We will get through this. The Indiana Supreme Court ordered eviction diversion program has been a mixed bag in its first week of operation gaining willing participants in only 8 out of 331 cases heard from November 1st through November 5th, where tenants and landlords were asked if they wished to participate. This new program, introduced by the Indiana Supreme Court on September 13th, seeks to utilize the over $410 million in federal funds provided to Indiana state and local governments last December for emergency rental assistance. On November 1st, the program announced new eviction reforms, including that courts must advise tenants and landlords at the first hearing of any eviction of alternative solutions such as rental assistance or partaking in a settlement conference in which tenant and landlord engage in a discussion facilitated by a neutral helper. Participation in the eviction diversion program would pause eviction proceedings for 90 days or until either landlord or tenant requests resumption. Of the hearings however both landlord and tenant must first agree to participate in the program which has been an issue since landlords may worry about waiting on rental assistance payments that may or still have never arrived an opinion shared during an eviction hearing in lawrence township small claims court by robert james whose firm sandlin law group represents five of the 20 top evicting landlords and property managers in marion county However, according to the Indianapolis Star, a positive for landlords is that participating in the program would allow them to obtain rent owed and late fees without having to make legal arguments in court, where a favorable outcome is not guaranteed. Indiana Court of Appeals Judge Robert R. Altice Jr., who is also chair of the state's eviction task force, had this to say, Quote, Certainly I wasn't thrilled with that number, but then again it is early, so my hope is that those numbers will increase as people become more aware of our program. End quote. In a positive note, on Monday the State Education Department announced that it will spend $2 million to help fully license special education teachers by offering scholarships for required training and streamlining required coursework. The new program, known as the Indiana Special Education Assisted Licensure Program, is designed to smooth the transition while increasing the number of fully qualified special education teachers in the state and ensure enough special educators are available when the state ends the use of emergency permits next school year. Since issuing emergency permits is a long-standing violation of the Federal Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. The state will replace these emergency permits with a new temporary licensure program for educators and approved training programs. The program entails that the Indiana Department of Education partner with the Center of Excellence in Leadership of Learning at the University of Indianapolis to assist teachers in finding a program that qualifies them for a temporary permit. The program itself is funded through Federal COVID Relief and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That's all for your local news brief. For WFHB News, I'm Abe Shapiro. More news later on this radio station, and live and learn.
2: On Monday, the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana filed a lawsuit against the Vigo County School Corporation after employees denied two high school students their right to use restrooms consistent with their gender identity. ACLU Indiana alleges that the denial of these students' access to the correct restrooms violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and Title IX of the Education Amendments Act of 1972. Ken Falk, legal director for ACLU Indiana, said in a press release, quote, "...denying a student their right to use the correct restroom is discrimination plain and simple." Schools should be a safe place for kids, and the refusal to allow a student to use the correct restroom can be extremely damaging, End quote. According to the complaint, both students were diagnosed with gender dysphoria and identify as male. Both have requested to use male restrooms and the male locker room. The lawsuit says that the school system has denied them this request. The students have also asked to be addressed by the names that reflect their gender identity using male pronouns. The complaint says that several substitute teachers and the principal of Terre Haute North Vigo High School have denied the students' request to use their preferred pronouns. Kathleen Bensberg, staff attorney with the LGBT Project at the Indiana Legal Services, said, The law gives transgender students the same opportunities as their peers to learn, grow, and succeed at school. We look forward to working with the ACLU to represent these students in the case. In a statement, ACLU of Indiana notes that students who are denied access to the correct restroom may confront increased bullying and may avoid the restroom altogether at school.
3: In today's feature report... WFHB Assistant News Director Noel Herrhusky Schneider speaks with Concerns Resident Stephen Stewart about the U.S. Forest Service's proposed restoration project for Buffalo Springs in Orange County. We turn to Herrhusky Schneider for more. this is Stephen.
0: Hi, this is Noelle. Hi, Noel. So for our listeners, could you um, say your name and say how you got involved in what's going on in the Hoosier National Forest?
4: <clears throat> yes, ma'am. My name is Stephen Stewart. I uh, teach um, organic gardening classes and sustainable living. Um, I also uh, specialize in wild edibles, so I take people on hikes uh, into the woods to teach them how to uh, identify wh- and, and safely identify uh, what is edible in the woods and useful. Um, and so I've just, you know, my, my my dad, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, um, everybody grew a garden and, uh, um, you know, lived around the forest. And, uh, you know, the forest was, uh, you know, sustainably harvested. That's something about me, and I like to teach others. Uh, I grew up in Orange County, Indiana, south of Paoli in Greenfield Township. Uh, my family's been there since, oh, uh, probably 1815, 1816. I do genealogy, and uh, they've just been there forever. Um, and my mom received a letter from the uh, Hoosier National Forest uh, mentioning this plan. It's called the uh, uh, scoping letter, it had ten ma- and had two maps outlining the area, and uh, just nearly everything around them was was uh, slated to be timbered or uh, possibly burnt. And uh, it really upset her. So uh, I got to, uh, and I'm in there week every weekend. Uh, I live a little bit. I live up here in Bloomington and travel down there regularly for recreation. And it uh, it's just it's my. Favorite spot on earth, and I hope to be buried there someday. So uh, we were really uh, ex- kind of upset because we didn't know about it and wanted to find out more about it. So uh, we started uh, we started a small Facebook group so we could we could tell others and um, see who got the letter and who didn't, and and so we could get in touch with the Forest Service and learn more.
0: Cool, I love it. And so you talked about harvesting from the forest sustainably, and that kind of brings us to what we're talking about today. The Buffalo Springs Restoration Project and the logging that's been proposed by the Forest Service. And you started this Facebook group because you were concerned about it. What What are you concerned about?
4: Well, there are over five thousand one hundred acres uh, slated for selective or clear-cut timbering, um, and the uh, um, there are over fifteen thousand. Uh, acres potentially uh, for, for uh, controlled burning, um, and uh, what, what surprised me the most is that uh, no one knew about it. Uh, <clears throat> upon research, you know, they had given us 30 days in the letter uh, to respond, uh, or otherwise you would not be able to be heard uh, as we read it in, in future stages of the project, um, and uh, so I contacted the Forest service and they said that they had sent the letter out to uh, um, landowners uh, that bordered on the properties that were going to be managed, that were going to be in this, in this uh, Buffalo Springs Restoration Project, they call it. Um, but upon talking with many of my neighbors and my parents' neighbors and my grandparents' neighbors, they had not received the letter. Only a handful had received it. Um, and nothing read about the newspaper, nothing heard about on the radio. Um, I guess the there was a press release sent out uh, with notification back in January, and one in May Um, and that's the only word but so um, there are now over 830 people uh, that we've been able to um, notify about the project so at least that they can you know give their opinion on how they feel about it and learn more but it's just just a short time period um, you know from learning about it for the very first time. and you know the smoke inhalation, perhaps uh, from especially with, with 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 lung disorders and and all of the uh, problems from COVID. There's been so many. I mean, Orange County has been very been hairy, very high in numbers of COVID people, and so that affects their that that affects their lungs and their breathing. Um, and they were so afraid of it uh, that I've talked to, you and uh, all of the forested areas. It's an extremely well-watered area. And many, many people, residents down that area, get their municipal drinking water from the Potoka Lake. And all of these areas that are projected to be timbered or burned are draining directly right down into the Potoka River and into the Potoka Reservoir. So it's just, uh, it's just something that. Um, 30 days has just been not adequate enough for people to learn about it so that they can express an opinion because you tell anybody that, that that's going to happen, you know, uh, near them with their drinking water and and they're going to be spraying 700, uh, I believe, acres of chemicals. Um, it, it's just something to be uh, researched and learned about before the, and hopefully, you know, to see whether or not it's a good plan or a bad plan. And um, at this point, 30 days has just not been adequate for those residents to really uh, – learn and and make a responsible comment um so we created this group so that we could get the word out
0: and you also you sent me a letter a press release saying that you hope to maybe get the deadline extended for the proposal
4: yes ma'am yes ma'am definitely uh you know we're, we're we're asking the forest service to go towards the end of the year uh the county commissioners uh there are four in orange county uh... they had a meeting and it was it was it was one of the highest uh, attended meetings in quite some time in Orange county and it was voted unanimously uh, that the commissioners were against this plan um, and they've asked the Forest service uh, and and many individuals have as well to just extend it till the end of the year. uh give us some time so that we can we we can get the word out. We can allow people to do some research and make educated uh, decisions in, in the future of their homes and their lives. Um, and then get that to the Forest Service so that they can make a better informed decision uh, for the next step of the process. Um, And in in that, I don't think the end of the year is is, is too dramatic uh, a request. Um, But, you know, they're basing it off of, too, uh, information and research that was put together in a 2006 um, forest management plan. And in 2006, I mean, uh, global warming, uh, carbon regeneration in, in the soil, uh, and what that does for uh, the climate, it, it was in its infancy, the scientists knew, but the public really wasn't much aware of it. And so a lot has developed dramatically in the last, you know, 15 years that really needs to be uh, addressed uh, before something, a project of this massive magnitude can be undertaken.
0: I am so glad that Orange County is coming together and you guys are trying to get your input into this because these are public forests, right?
4: Right that's correct yes ma'am I, I in my belief it's Hoosier national forest uh it, it's owned by the people the, the the national government uh and it's not just orange county um it is because it's national because it's our heritage because it, it it's a national treasure in my mind uh and 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 i'm in it regularly i, I love it uh, it's not just those people. When, when, you do a re, when you do a search on YouTube for Hoosier National Forest, you see people from Ohio, Kentucky, Illinois, Michigan, uh, not just the Midwest. You see from out west making videos about camping. Taking their, There were two fathers that took their daughters uh, on a camping trip into Hoosier National Forest for the weekend, and, and the bonding that happened there was just remarkable. But these people are from far away. They don't live there, but they have a, they have a vested interest in their national treasure as well, as with any national park or forest.
0: I personally have camped in the hoosier national forest myself and have had some amazing memories in it and it's beautiful and it's priceless i agree and also there was the indiana forest alliance email that um, i got a newsletter from them about um, bats and what the animals that live up in the forest canopy do you know anything about that like not just what people are concerned about for (laughs) human recreational uses but for the wildlife there
4: uh, I do not, and I hate to speak on on uh, ecological or wildlife that I do not know. I know that the goals of both the Indiana Forest Alliance and the uh, Hoosier National Forest Service, their goals are both one and the same, and that is to you know uh, preserve the wildlife that's there. Hopefully, to reinstate like the turkey and the deer uh, that were reinstated by the Indiana State DNR and reintroduced, and have, and have done wonderfully well. Uh, they weren't even they weren't even they were extinct from the area, um, and they were reintroduced some years back. Um, and have really had a comeback um, and so they're looking for sustainable um, not just for humans and not just the trees that we see but also you know the plants and the micro microorganisms, um that live there as well uh, and, and I think there's a bit of a different opinion in the scientific community on what the best route to get there is. Uh, but something I can speak on is, is the historical heritage that's there. Uh, I'm a historian and archaeologist uh, and but by training and, and in college, and was in a, worked in museums for years as an executive director and a curator. Um, and the I have found in the last three years myself so many archaeological remains down there that are intact, that are substantial and have historical significance um, that uh, need to be surveyed first and allow us time to get in there and really uh, learn the stories. Uh, one of the home places I found uh, a lady recently told me. She was 85. She goes, I was born in that house, you know, and there were three outbuildings that were still visible on the landscape that you could see, and the old road in front of it, and flowers in the spring growing uh, near it. And she remembered growing up, you know, being born in the, in that house, and and, and uh, she sent me volumes uh, just in telling me stories about all of the, you know, what it was like growing up down there along the Buffalo Trace, uh, and uh, which is intact and through the county as well through this forest. Um, and, and it's just that I can speak on. And I, and I think that uh, um, if not for ourselves, for, for the future uh, and for our ancestors that came before us, uh, we deserve to they deserve to have their story story told um, so that we can learn the lessons from what they uh, how they lived their life and what they learned from that, and and that takes time and study. And, and it, first of all, it takes preservation. Uh, so these sites have to be discovered and preserved, uh, rather than uh, you know possibly destroyed in a project the the magnitude of the size.
0: I love that aspect. Like I haven't talked to that many people from the historian side, so I've never considered how logging would affect how we study our history here.
4: Our ancestors, you know, had that manifest destiny that this was, you know, they, they deserved this new land to live their life and to raise their children. But um, they made some mistakes along the way and with some bad information. And, and because of the over-intensive farming and logging, um, uh, that was the main reason the Hoosier National Forest was uh, purchased in the first place, was to save these lands that were so badly eroded, so badly uh, over over planted uh, for years to where they were depleted of all minerals and nutrients uh, and they and they planted they they made this fi industrial forest to save it um because the families living on there could not make a living anymore off the land uh, and, and so uh, that story needs to be told as well, so that we can realize that that it's uh it's neither he- bad nor good, but it's our heritage, uh, and we need to learn uh the good things they learned and the bad things they learned so that we cannot make the same mistakes in the future.
0: I was really interested to learn, yeah, I've always, you see those trees and you're like, oh, old. And I'm like, wow, I learned that they were actually pretty young um, and they were planted. And um, apparently some of them are pine trees that aren't doing too hot right now. And so, you know, the Forest Service is saying that it's actually going to be better for the forest if we cut them down and, you know, make sure that the other plants, like the oaks, have... Room that the beach trees get sunlight and all of that.
4: Well, uh, they do believe they, they call it a, a forest restoration project. Uh, now I don't for sure what what state are they're looking to restore it to. Whether that's back to uh, you know a Native American uh, occupation or French occupation, American occupation. How how many thousands of years are they going back to what they're re- wanting to restore it to? But they do call it an oak uh, oak hickory. Uh, ecosystem, um, with, with little education to the public about what an oak hickory ecosystem is. It, it, a, a lot more education, a lot more learning needs to be done, I believe, uh, to, to find out. Um, and it is, you know, they, they say that we need more um, uh, interdispersions uh, secessional forest they call it, I believe, with the, with the younger growth in it, and cleared lands in between the older growth uh, for the animals. Uh, Hoosier National forest is the most fragmented for, national forest in America. It has it, it is a patchwork. It's not one large forest. It mm-hmm. is fragmented pieces of land intermixed with farming intermixed with homes, intermixed with roads, intermixed with private land, where private landowners are timbering their own land and have, have uh, different stages of growth already. So why take the old growth that's there and unique and has so many unique aspects in the Midwest and get rid of it when it already has to create more of this younger growth, successional growth, um, that is already in existence more than any other national forest. So it, it's just a lot of questions and a lot of learning on, on all sides, I think.
0: Yeah, and I know I went to um, Seattle, Washington this summer, and I learned for the first time really about like parent trees, or, like one tree falls and a bunch of other trees grow up out of it. Um, so even if these pine trees are dying, it makes sense to me that like, yes, let them die, but then let them fall and let them replenish the soil. And I think well, that- the
4: Indiana DNR and the uh, Hoosier National Forest uh, Service both have a leave-no-trace. Um, and they do not want the firewood taken from the floor. They want it left there. And and then, you know, but that's not going to happen if they're timbering it. Um, and But also with creating these new open spaces that you mentioned, uh, creating the non-natives, cutting down the non-native pines that they had planted in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, um perhaps that's a great that that's that's a good idea perhaps um but in opening up these huge swaths of area that they that these trees were planted into uh it's opening up actually for a lot of um invasives to come right in some non-native invasives and it's happened many times down there already we have multiflora rose <laughs> and many of the species that are up here that we see all over bloomington uh that have taken over into these open spaces that are newly opened up and the opportunists uh, which is what an invasive, they're very they're very opportunistic. They grow in a wide variety of, of, of areas, and they come into these open spaces. I know there's a big fear that it's not going to open it up for the oak and the hickory, um, but rather, in, unless they're replanted, uh, it's going to open up for invasives. And so there's still a lot of, you know, don't get rid of the plan necessarily. We're not calling for that. We're calling for public awareness mm-hmm. uh, of the plan to have an input uh, for an extended period to learn about it And 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 to modify the plan as it stands with public comment, with current science scholarship, and with the Hoosier National Forest expertise.
0: I think public input is very important. I think we need to learn more. I think there's been a debate over this for a while now, how we can best, you know, balance preservation versus conservation and moving forward with climate change. We really, I mean, we don't really know yet exactly what best practices there are.
4: as a whole, I think, is learning so much new um, with, with, the, with the global warming and, and uh, the, the climate change that that's, we're starting to see on an everyday basis. It's not just something theoretical uh, that we're talking about and hearing about on the news or hearing about in science conferences or reading in books and newspapers. It's something we're seeing. And so the learning curve is great for the whole world. Uh, and, and I think we need to. Uh, Look at uh, look at that a little deeper before we proceed with something so large that could affect over twenty thousand acres of of uh, national treasure. Is this
0: just for like our listeners who maybe don't necessarily know what's going on here in this um, section of the woods? How is this similar to what went on in Yellowwood? I know that I always saw a lot of those yellow signs, save Yellowwood, um, and I think a lot of people around Indiana are very familiar
4: with that. Well, Yellowwood, uh, as I understand it, is a state-owned property. So it's not managed by the Hoosier National Forest, It's uh, the National Forest Service. It's uh, managed by the Indiana State DNR Forestry. Um, So there was the different in ownership and management of it. And then also um, when that project first started, uh, there was some land that was timbered, but it was not done to the extent as the original plan called for. Um, And and it's my understanding from the residents in the area that I I know uh, that that timbering has stopped. Um, so, you know, perhaps there was conversation there between the people uh, and the DNR. Um, but I wasn't part of that, uh, but I was just done kind of on the periphery reading in the newspaper uh, guidelines. But uh, this is closer to home to me, and so I'm learning more about this one. And, and uh, hopefully I can uh, learn more about the other efforts with Salamone in the north, with Crawford Harrison in the south, uh, and with the Yellowwood, uh, so that we can all just uh, be more aware of what's happening to our natural resources around us.
0: So for the people who are listening and kind of want to get involved, you said that we need to make public comment before November 15th. Can you really outline exactly? like, is, you know, getting started is always the hardest part.
4: <laughs> yes. Uh, to, to, to get your voice in there and your comment now so that you can be uh, notified of changes in the future and be able to voice your opinion then, uh, contact the uh, Hoosier National Forest Office. Uh, They're in Bedford, uh, Ortel City uh, District. Um, And uh, on their website, the USDA Forest Service online, you'll find the Buffalo Springs Restoration Project. uh, And it gives the scoping letter, which is an 11-page document, as well as two maps showing the detailed spaces of what's going to happen and what they're hoping to do with that area. Uh, And then also it gives contact information on how to comment and instructions uh, with Kevin Arnick. Uh, is the gentleman uh, with the organization who is in, in, in charge of receiving those comments. And he's been very uh, willing to uh, respond to my emails and answer my questions and others that I've been in, in conversation with. Uh, but contact them. Uh, write a letter and fax it. Write a letter and mail it. Write a letter and email it. Uh, call them. Email them. And, and do it all. <laughs> Make sure that, that that they know that you are uh, trying to get a hold of them, and, and they've made it, they've given you the instructions there, so they haven't made it relatively easy to do so. It's just we have to do so, and people have to know about it before they can do so. And also, if you want more information about the project and the conversations going on right now on Facebook, we have Save Hoosier National Forest with over 839 members uh, in, in two weeks' time, um, that where it's a clearinghouse for gathering the information and articles, and we have people from both sides of the coin and somewhere in the middle um, that are there discussing uh, what is going currently with this project?
0: Wow, amazing! And I'm I'm pretty much done here. Unless if you have any stories about this specific area again.
4: Absolutely. In 2016, uh, for the bicentennial for the state of Indiana, the Hoosier National Forest and a group of volunteers got together to locate. The Buffalo Trace, and the Buffalo Trace, if if, you, if you're not aware, was historically both a Native American and wild animal buffalo, and perhaps on a bison earlier, uh, or pardon me, and uh, mammoth earlier. Um, it was the road through the woods. It was the road um, all the way from uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky, and Jeffersonville, uh, on the Indiana side, <clears throat> through southern Indiana to Vincennes. They found it, Um, and then three years ago I got with a volunteer, found a segment of it myself uh, that they had not discovered, and we have went mapped out an additional uh, long distance of it. Um, But if you were going uh, in the period from uh, 1780 uh, to around 1840, and if you were going west uh, from Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, and you were headed to points west, that's how you went. And see, so you went right through this road. Um, presidents have went through there, uh, historical figures. It, it's got so much historical significance and it is in, intact and it is still there and it's seen. And that uh, we'd love to create a heritage trail through there uh, to tell that story, but we can't do so uh, if, it, if it's destroyed. So uh, we'd like to you know, share that. That's just one of the many beautiful things that are through there and make this forest unique.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for calling WFHB and informing us about this. It's been really interesting talking to you. I didn't know a lot of these things.
4: Well, thank you. I, I, I so appreciate you uh, uh, working for the uh, your volunteers, working for the public, and working for uh, others, and because and, uh, we're all one big family, and we do appreciate FHB. Uh, listening to it for many years. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you so much.
4: All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.
3: Be sure to tune in to tomorrow's broadcast where her Husky Schneider speaks with Chris Thornton and Marion Mason of the U.S. Forest Service with their input on the restoration project in the Hoosier National Forest.